0: Welcome to the Sports Fish Show. Today we have with us Neha Oberoi, a mental health professional, a social entrepreneur, and a former professional tennis player. She holds a master's in clinical social work from Columbia University and is passionate about working with current and former athletes on their mental health, performance, and well-being. She is the co founder of South Asians in Sports, which is a nonprofit organization based out of the US and is focused currently on advocating for South Asians working in sports globally. Today, we'll be chatting with her and gaining her insights on community building, her transition from her athletic days to now working with athletes on the topic of mental health, and much more. Let's dive into it. Hello, Neha. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well, thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. It's my pleasure. For those who don't know, we go way back when I was interning within your organization, South Asians in Sports. So I'm so excited and honored to have you and have the chance to interview you. And we'll get to SA in Sports in a bit. But I obviously want to start with your journey first off. Um, Starting in chronological order because I know you wear so many hats. You were a pro tennis player. Um, when given the theme of our podcast, I want to explore a little bit about how you transitioned to become an entrepreneur and start some of your own initiatives. So when you sort of retired, how did you transition into normal life? Because I know that's not easy for an athlete. Can you take us through that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, it's something that I think about a lot and, um, I'm passionate about. So I played pro tennis for five years on the WTA tour, along with my sister Shika, who represented India. And um, you know, at that point, there I came to a point where I just got burnt out. You know, to to summarize it, mentally just burnt out. And uh, I actually, um, you know, have said this many times. I actually w- was suffering from a pretty bad eating disorder uh, that was on, you know, brought on by quite a few different factors. So the decision to to leave, uh, actually, I was sitting in Japan and it was the most terrifying moment, I think, of my life where I said, you know, who am I without this sport and what can I even do? Am I even worthy? Uh, But at the same time, I was really suffering with my mental health and I knew that tennis was not where I was supposed to be anymore. And so making that, that decision took a lot of guts. I was extremely nervous. Uh, and to be honest with you, Ananya, it wasn't all rosy once I made the decision. It act, things got a, a lot worse. I had to rebuild my identity, you know, come to terms with the fact that I was no longer going to do something I'd spent my entire life doing. And, uh, you know, I think what was helpful for me was just knowing that I could do the things I wanted to do that I had shown myself that with hard work, with will, I could accomplish whatever I wanted. And I really took that confidence that athletics gives you forward. But that navigation, that journey was at least a six or seven year struggle for me. I went back to college, to Princeton, to another very elite academically challenging environment. And, you know, just sort of being able to cope with that, with the change, you know, the identity piece was really huge for me, but also understanding where can I put this energy, this mass amount of energy next. Like what is my next goal? I was so used to being so goal-oriented. And life isn't really like that all the time. There's a lot more gray in non-sporting life than there is in sporting life. And having to understand that having to come more become more in touch with who I was, my authentic self. Uh, was painful. It was not a fun, beautiful journey. It was a very painful journey. But I also was someone who was willing to put in that work every day, and uh, you know, because I knew that I deserve better, and that I, you know, that I could expand my horizons if I put in that work. And what I mean by that is figuring out what it is that makes me tick. And and it took a while, but it led me to social work uh which is what i do now and also to entrepreneurship i always knew i wanted to do something combined you know with sports something with my south asian identity the opportunity to start south asians in sports kind of came out of this struggle so to speak um, and it was really just when it really was influenced by my time on the tour when my sister and i were on the tennis tour we didn't see people like Ananya around the ecosystem of sports, you know, whether they were doctors or physios or coaches. I mean, everyone we interacted with, majority, were white, cisgendered men. Mm. And I thought, well, you know, we come from such a highly educated diaspora, like, why can't they be involved? And I had a um, another person who I actually met on Twitter, her name is also Neha, reach out to me and say, hey, I'm trying to start something. And I said, yeah. Let's start this, let's start a network and a community to attract and engage South Asians in the sports industry. Wow, that's wonderful.
0: I know about the organization, but it's interesting to hear how it was actually formulated. Um, what were some of the starting challenges that you, you faced considering there weren't a lot of people that you could actually uh, recruit to the organization considering there weren't a lot of South Asians working in sports? Were there some challenges that you faced along those lines?
1: Yes. So I think what's interesting is that uh, South Asians in sports has kind of, has been my, uh, my playground, you know, because I run it, you know, I can, you know, figure out what works and how to do it. And it's been really interesting to know that uh, the acquisition of members is not sexy. It requires a daily grind of stalking on LinkedIn, looking for they sounding last names that work in sports and messaging them and hoping that they might get your message. Um, You know, it was that bit by bit, that daily bit by bit, which I was used to hitting thousands of forehands day in and day out, day in and day out before any of the glamor, before any of the tournaments. So I understand that mentality of building something from scratch and it actually drives me uh, and I'm very passionate about it. What I actually found in Anya is that there are a lot of South Asians working in sports, but we're just not connected. And every year we grow, you know, the organization bigger and bigger. We started with 10 people. We're now at 660 members and there's so many more people. Because every person that comes in says, oh, have you heard of this person? And I was like, no. And I love when I can say, no, I haven't. That means we haven't covered everything. We haven't reached everybody. That there's still more room for growth. And that's what's really fun and encouraging.
0: Wow. Do you look for a qualification? Um, or is it only restricted to, this, to South Asians? Because I've been to many events and I think that's one of the events organized by South Asian Sports, where I've seen people from all diasporas attend the event as well, which is such an advantage for an organization. Um, But is there a certain level of qualification you look for? And I'm only probing more into this because I know how many more people will be interested in joining the organization. So could you tell us about your process of
1: onboarding people? Sure, it's pretty simple. First of all, the membership is free. Uh, you know, and the events, I think, largely, and Ananya, you can attest to this, are free. Uh, and really what we're looking for, the majority of our community are working professionals. That means industry, sports industry professionals, people who are actually working in the field. And then we have people who are around kind of the field that maybe go into it, you know, tap into sports here and there, but that's not their daily nine to five. And then we have students who are really focused and eager, on, uh, eager to work in the field, but haven't made that breakthrough yet. And then we have athletes and coaches, people who are actually playing the sport. So we have a pretty uh, diverse kind of pool of people, but our crux are professionals. Last night, we had an analytics industry professional networking event. You know, we have over 50 analytics members uh, you know, who are, are crunching the numbers day in and day out for leagues, orgs, you know, brands, and they got together. So it's really cool to see that we have a lot of people from so many different parts of the sports industry. There's so many verticals. So I think if, you know, if you're someone who is attracted to the industry and want to learn more, um, you know, and seriously, uh, serious about looking for a career in this, this is a network for you. Mm. Absolutely. Um, So
0: shifting gears a little bit, just to know a bit more about your other role, which is in clinical social work. Now you've been working with athletes on mental health. How did you decide to transition into this field particularly?
1: Yes. So after I left pro tennis, um, I actually started coaching. It was lucrative for me as a college student to coach. I had, you know, a lot of young students, junior athletes coming to me, their parents for advice, mentorship, uh, not just on the court, but off the court. And I quickly learned that um, my skill set kind of stopped at a certain point, which was, you know, forehands and backhands and, you know, the protein shakes to eat and, and how to sign up for tournaments. Mm. But what I found um, was an issue coming up again and again was the mental health piece both of the parents and the athlete. And the longevity and the impacts of that I had lived through, you know, very recently. And so I decided to go back to school to get a clinical social work license so that I could work with athletes off the court uh, and help them improve their well being, you know, kind of their perspective, but also ultimately to help their performance. That's something that I think being South Asian um, was sort of glossed over and mm. ignored mm. Uh, you know we as athletes are uh, are kind of expected to be resilient and strong and you know what are mental health issues you know and i'm not talking about mental performance i'm talking about mental health um and i think that we don't understand as a society that this is actually a huge part of uh performance for athletes and it has been largely ignored so I really had the desire to, to gain those skills, which I did, I did recently. And um, now I'm working with both the general population, as well as with athletes. Uh, I'm really passionate about that transition piece that I discussed. Uh, but I think, you know, it, people like you and me, you know, need to to continue that conversation that that mental health isn't seen as something bad. And I think I think the rhetoric is changing thanks to social media. I think it's been kind of seen as something like, oh, I care about my mental health, like I care about my physical health. Right. And for, for athletes to um, to subscribe to something like this, you know, requires that kind of cultural shift.
0: Mm. I have to ask, though, do you do you feel that athletes are more at risk to mental health issues? Um, I don't mean to probe from a personal space, but um, have you experienced? that in the circle where you've seen athletes, considering there's so much more pressure on athletes day in and day out?
1: You know, I think that's a good question, and I wouldn't be able to uh, factually answer that question. I don't think there's enough research. I think everybody who has access to the internet has an increased risk of, of, of developing mental health issues. Interesting. Uh, that's my personal belief. Um, Do I think that athletes above the general population have an increased risk? I would say no, but I would be careful to say that I might be very off, you know, numbers wise. I just don't think there's enough research about that. However, athletes are at a higher risk from what I've seen of developing certain things because of the unique risk factors that they endure, that kind of isolation, overtraining, Uh, being scrutinized by the media, the constant um, competitive pressure to perform, you know, and their environments are, as well as their identity, super myopic. I think all of those things are factors for a lot of mental health issues. But, you know, we also live in a society where suicide for the general population, you know, between 11 and, and 25 has skyrocketed. So I wouldn't say that athletes are, you know, a mental health, you know, already above the general population. I just think that the, you know, their lifestyle and the way in which they have to achieve um, can be a huge uh, precipice for them to fall off of. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm sure, like you said, there's, access to social media and there's so much information out there, which can be so overwhelming, especially pertaining to mental health. Um, And one often doesn't know which resource to go to. Um, Some resources can be quite expensive to even procure. Um, How do you advise athletes or even uh, whether that's pro athletes or competitive non-professional
1: athletes to approach their mental health? That's a great question. And I think it, the answer varies widely depending on the culture that you live in, the society that you live in, and what you have access to, your socioeconomic background. I think there is, for someone who is you know, trying to be a professional or an elite athlete, there is a great value to have a clinician, a therapist, that you can create a relationship with, That you see just like you see your trainer or your massage therapist or your physio for, you know, the little strain that you have in your shoulder. Um, I think having someone on your team that can um, weekly process things with you outside the court that will completely directly relate to on the court uh, is priceless. And if I had to do it all over again, I would have invested in that. I think there are also, there's also so much information. You're right. And if you know what you're looking for, you can, you can kind of help yourself, guide yourself. I mean, there's so much free mental health stuff, DBT workbooks, uh, CBT understanding, TED talks. If you're interested in this and you can kind of, I wouldn't say self-diagnose, just self-navigate, you know, what you're finding you have issues with, I think that'll help you narrow down to what you're looking for. Uh, I remember when I got off the tour, I was desperate. I remember going to a physical library in 2007 and saying like, has anybody written about depression after leaving tennis? You know, has anyone talked about eating disorders in sports? And I found so little, I mean, I didn't, I don't think I even found anything. So, so much has changed in a decade where now, you know, people are athletes are coming out to talk about their mental health issues and i think that's so that's so gratifying there are lots of uh, companies also that are sprouting up like uh, talkspace and betterhelp I-, I don't know how good they are you know i haven't i don't know how to vet that yeah i would say if you and your community can find people who have lived through the sport you know who at least have been athletes can understand that and are trained uh, in, in uh, mental health, I think being able to access them is, is gold. Thank you for sharing that. That has such
0: important information that I hope will benefit a lot of people um, or a lot of those at least looking to uh, target some of these areas. Um, My last question is usually on advice that I ask from my guests to students and professionals entering the world of sports or working in sports. But from you, I know someone who's a mom of two beautiful toddlers or I shall say a baby and a toddler. Um, I want advice from you for those moms or those parents taking on various roles and managing parenthood or motherhood
1: especially in, in over demanding environment. Oh, wow. I, mean, I feel like I'm always asking for advice you know, <laughs> about this. I, I think, you know, there's no right answer. And what I'm finding is that once again, I have to figure out my own right. You know, what is right for us as a family? What is right for me as an individual? I think what I'll tell you what I've learned, especially during this pandemic year. I think that might help. Um, I've learned that, I've learned really what my limits are. You know, I'm someone who felt like I can do it all. I don't need help. I can take on another meeting. I can do this. I can keep going. That sort of athlete rhetoric running in my head. And I learned that I actually have limits because I have, I am responsible for other people. And knowing what those are is a huge asset to me oh, this is it. This is all I can do. I think that has been a huge lesson for me and has just increased our family happiness and, and my men, you know, saved my mental health. I think the other thing that I've learned is that it's okay to, to do things bit by bit and not do them in large chunks. Mm. You know, I like to, to get a lot done and I get greedy for time, but bit by bit is just as valuable. Um, you don't have to give it up. You can still do it. It just won't look the way you thought it would. And being adaptable to that, I think, is really important if you're a mother of young children. And I think the third thing I learned is learning how to ask for help, really asking for help and saying, that's not a reflection of weakness when I ask for help. It's a reflection of resourcefulness and strength when I say, I cannot do all of this or I choose not to do all of this. I need help and being very specific on the help that I need and how to ask for it. I think in this society, um, mothers are supposed to be doing it all. You know, They're supposed to have thriving careers. They're supposed to look amazing. They're supposed to get their six pack back immediately after delivering a baby. They're supposed to learn how to breastfeed and supposed to be normal and cook organic and healthy foods and you know, be the best spouses. It's a lot, you know, in my mother's generation, being a mother was enough, you know, and it's not enough anymore. And I'm I'm saying maybe take, take back your power. And if you wanna just be a mom for a while, know that that is really, really challenging and it'll use all parts of your brain. If you wanna do more, do more. But I think know your own limits, learn how to ask and be very specific about the help you need. And know that you can still accomplish what you want bit by bit and it's okay just keep stirring the pot because when your kids are older when it's time you can jump back in and do as much as you want i think that's what i've learned and i still have to remind myself Mm -hmm. you know of this because it gets overwhelming i get down there are moments where i say i can't do it and then i remember okay i'm doing too much or let me recalibrate um i I wish i had advice but i really reach out and i i think the other thing is reaching out to um to a mommy network as a as a tennis player uh I was so isolated and, and on the court you have to find your own answers you know you can't look around to a community you can't ask in the stands hey what should I do now right and so I was I was sort of used to that you know like I kind of figured this out for myself but the answers are right there if I just text a friend or call someone oh well, yeah I potty trained four times you know it's sort of I have to remind myself that I'm not living in a silo you know it it, there's a huge community out there. There's people like Ananya doing you know, podcasts about these things. So take advantage of that. Take advantage of the resources you have.
0: Well, um, you're already doing that and you're paving the path for so many. So I commend you for that and commend you for sharing that. Thank you so much. Um, With that, it brings me to the end of my questions, but uh, I had a lovely time just talking to you again, engaging in a wonderful chat, learning about what you're up to, and uh, just want to thank you for giving us your time.
1: Of course, and I want everyone to know that Ananya is a superstar. She's been a superstar since day one, and I'm really excited for you and your career and, and where you're gonna go.
0: You're too kind, thank you so much. Thank you, appreciate it. Thank you everybody for tuning in. Please don't forget to subscribe, like and share for the best tips and trends in the world of sports business, wherever you listen to podcasts. Reach out over social media to connect or collaborate. Links will be in the bio. See you next time.